Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1. As we have discussed in the last month, we see Jesus has been involved in high-octane ministry. He's been traversing the Sea of Galilee. He comes back again, and now he's going to kind of get a little bit of retreat at his hometown of Nazareth. Now, this is Jesus' second trip back to his hometown. The first time you remember, we read about how he, he read from uh, the scrolls from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue and basically said, today what I have just read has been fulfilled in your presence. Now, as he returns this time, what you're going to see is kind of this negative vibe. You're going to see this reaction toward Jesus that is really not a good attitude and that ultimately, this attitude ultimately keeps the people really from receiving from Jesus. Now, a a lot of, quote, faith teachers can use this text uh, to talk about the skill of faith or the, the, the process of faith or the methodology of faith and what gets Jesus to move on our behalf. But I'm not really focusing on that because I don't really believe that it has to deal with that primarily. I believe the issues that Jesus is talking about here go a lot deeper. And so we're just going to look at the first six verses. And I've really been kicking. I've never done this before where I've given two talks out of the same text. You understand that that every text, all of the Bible, it has really one major meaning but a lot of different applications and I'm still undecided. I might give another talk out of this next week or I'll tie it in uh, to another one down the road because it really is pregnant with some important truth for our lives. And so uh, I'm gonna kind of give the obvious, the most obvious one today. It says this, now Jesus went away from there and he came to his hometown. It says his disciples followed him. Notice that's what disciples do. They're always following Jesus. That's what disciple means, follower of Jesus. Now, when the Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach again in the synagogue, and many who heard him underline this were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Because they've been hearing about it. But then just as quickly as they are amazed and they're astonished. Oh, Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Aren't these his sisters here with us? I get this. It says, so they were offended by him. It goes from astonishment and amazing to being offended. Well, then Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor except in his home. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. Now, these are really scary words to me. So he was not able to do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And now notice this, the, amazed, the amazement switches. And he was amazed at their unbelief. I think Jesus, it sounds to me like as we read this, he probably wanted to do a whole lot more there than what he could do. And it didn't say Jesus wouldn't. It says Jesus couldn't because of their unbelief, their lack of faith. Well, what's the issue here? Well, this is where Jesus spent his childhood, his adolescence. 
and his adult life until he was about 30. Most people believe that the reason he potentially really didn't go into ministry until he was 30, because if you read this text, it says he was the, the son of Mary. In the Jewish culture, it would have always been the son of the father, so it should have said they, the son of Joseph. But this is an, kind of a derisive point. They're saying this because they're saying, you know what, we've heard this son of God thing, but we're not buying into it per se, so we really don't know who the father was. And it's almost a slam against Jesus here. So he's grown up in this community. He's developed like every little Jewish boy would. So the other natives of Nazareth, they're, they're there with him. And they said, well, we've heard about this son of God bit. But man, we're just, we're, we're just of the same ilk from the same hood. So, you know, who, who is he really? But note in, in, in verse 3, it says that they were astonished. Some of your translations will say they stumbled over Jesus. Now get into the imagination here of these people. Catch what they're saying. Hear their thoughts. They're saying, where did he get this stuff, this wisdom? I mean, he's, he's even done miracles that we've heard about. Um, but, but, but isn't this Jesus the carpenter? They have to understand the word carpenter here, which would really fit because Jesus is the son of God. It's got a very derisive tone with it because there's a couple kind of carpenters. Uh, back in that day, there was kind of the, the quote, the handyman, one that could do a few odds and ends and everything. But Jesus, the, the word here is tecton, and, and this means Jesus was a, a master craftsman, a builder. I mean, he could build anything from a chicken coop to a home. He could build anything from a little uh, kitchen table to a boat. He had incredible skills. He was an impressive builder. But what we're dealing with here, if you see it, if you catch the text, we're dealing with a classic case of familiarity. People who knew Jesus, they were so comfortable with him that there was this inability to trust in him, to receive from him, and and most importantly, to receive him. See, these are the people that would have grown up with Jesus. Hi, Jesus. Good morning, Jesus. How are you today, Jesus? Oh, by the way, Jesus, I need a new table and chairs. Could you come over and fix those for me? Or could you come and build me something? Oh, Jesus, the chicken coop needs a little bit of work. Oh, Jesus, I love what you did at Luke's place. Any possibility you could come and do that for me? Oh, yeah, Jesus, man, he could pound pegs and drive nails like few other carpenters in Nazareth. If you want a good job, call Jesus. Can, can, you, can you pick that up? That's what these people are dealing with. They are saying, we've known this Jesus since we were kids. We've grown up together. I, I wonder if there isn't just a little bit of parallelism between this story in Nazareth and that of, well, America, the East Bay, maybe even Creekside, where there's this group of people that call themselves Christ followers, Christians, part of the evangelical movement and community. But where so many of us, so many of us can be extremely familiar with Jesus. And we've grown up with baby Jesus, you know, uh, in, you know away in the manger. And some of us have, nati- I have a nativity scene in our house when Christmas comes around. We're used to that. We see this precious little baby Jesus. Listen, when I was in high school, again, I'll date myself a little bit. When I was in high school, before I even really followed Jesus in any sense, Man, I was, I was following the Doobie Brothers, and this is what I knew. Jesus was just all right with me. <laughs> I don't care what you may say. Jesus is just all right. 
It's so natural. It's so normal. And in our culture, and in our brand of Americano Christianity today, isn't it true we are saturated with religious talk and religious talk shows, with, with, with religious celebrity and speakers and broadcasts and podcasts and books and literature and Christian concerts ad nauseum. It's there. It's everywhere. So we become this own little counterculture. And I wonder if the community that's far from Christ, possibly many from uh, the church, are similar to these people in Nazareth. And we just kind of stumble that there could be this God coming as man to give us wisdom, to touch our lives, to heal, to minister, to grace coming from Jesus because he's just all right with all of us. I've been around. You've been around a while and isn't it true? We've sung his name. We've spoke his name, hopefully in the positive. We prayed in his name. We do it and move on. But isn't it possible for you, for me, to become so familiar with Jesus we could come to a morning like today and we can sing, but we don't worship. We can look around the smiles on our face, but we're not here to receive or give, but we're here to critique and criticize. Oh, the service, it was this today. Oh, it wasn't that. Oh, I didn't like this set. Oh, he preached too long. Oh, he preached too loud. Oh, he did this or somebody did that. And pretty soon we're here just critiquing or, or, or criticizing, but we're not receiving or, or coming to give the life of Jesus. How about when he shows up in, in a matter of speaking? Jesus shows up and maybe he really wants to speak something of wisdom to you. Maybe he wants to do something of his miraculous life in your life. Uh, but you're, you're not ready to receive. You just kind of stumble because of all these other periphery things. C.S. Lewis, in his great book, The Screwtape Letters, it's the story of Uncle Screwtape, who is a high-ranking demon who's working with his nephew, Wormwood. And he's trying to teach him how to be deceptive and how to deceive and how to tempt Christ's followers once they become Christians. And he writes these 31 letters to him. And after the first letter, this guy called the patient really becomes a Christ follower. So now, since he's become a Christ follower, the whole focus is how can we trip him up? I mean, can't you just hear it and see it in hell's council meeting? One of the things he wants to do is how do we make Jesus so familiar to people where his grandeur and his greatness will be diminished in their eyes and they really won't be able to receive of their greatest need of salvation, forgiveness, wisdom, teaching, miracles, challenge. Again, our culture, look around at how commercialized Jesus is. There's cups, there's clothing lines, there's pens, music, trinkets, big churches, big meetings, Christian celebrities, theme parks, hotels, so that all of us little Christians can go and get our little cubby hole and enjoy ourselves. Oh, look at this. I love this, I do. A friend in church gave this to me, and this is really cute. It's kind of a, it's a dashboard Jesus. I don't... <laughs> 
I don't, I don't drive enough to put it on my dashboard. And I'm really not making fun of it. It's cute. But, it's, but again, we're talking about the commercialization of Jesus. I do sit this on my desk because he's looking at me all the time, <laughs> making sure that I'm doing good and being a good pastor and good person and good partner and good everything else. And it is cute and I do love it. But the commercialization of Jesus makes it everything so stinking familiar, doesn't it? I was driving recently. And uh, I got to see one of these old-time bumper stickers. Honk if you love Jesus. And I was just getting ready to honk, but all of a sudden the guy goes blowing by me and gives me a dirty look because I'm driving too slow. And I said, amen, brother, just keep going. You know what I mean? If you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to walk it, live it. Because we really can't deal. The world can't just see this commercialized little Jesus out there. See, because of our religious heritage, The church, you and me, we can become so familiar with Jesus, we can look like the church and the people of Nazareth. But we miss and we can even reject all that Jesus has for us. I want to pray for us. Jesus, God, in my own heart, as I I reflect even this week, it's so easy to get caught up in the machinery of of Christianity and forget about Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would, even this morning, that every one of us would be challenged, that we would see the real Jesus. We would be part of the real church. We would bring real hearts and minds to everything that we do. Scripture says that love the Lord your God with all your mind, your heart, your soul, your body. That's a 24-7, 365 deal. It's not a one or two hours on a Sunday morning. Challenges speak to us this morning, Jesus. Each one of us, I pray. Let us never become so filled with religion that we miss you. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a couple of options here that we do have. I think we can see, and it's either... Jesus brings relationship. People like to focus on religion, don't they? See, we define religion as man working to get to God or working to appease God or to do rituals and things and activities to help us get in right relationship with or to make God happy with us. Religion is man-made. But Jesus is the God-man. He came as the Son of God, man-God, the the Emmanuel, the incarnation of God, the representation of God, the real God, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He came to you and I to give us a relationship, not a religion. He didn't come to give us Christianity. He came to give us Christ himself. Religion has a tendency to box Jesus in to what it wants while relationship is all about Jesus allowing us to be revealed to us in his terms. Jesus is into relationship with people. He ate with sinners. He ate with the uh, down and outers and the up and comers and he loved them all. He was inclusive and his whole focus was to bring life where there was deadness, to bring transformation where it needed to happen. And we can never forget that, loved ones. These people had religion. They knew about God, but they were set in their myopic ways and they missed Jesus. Where did he get this stuff? 
It's good to come to church to get answers, even like they did. But like these town people, we can begin to ask the right questions, but with the wrong heart and the wrong attitude, can't we? If you listen, if you understand their questions and you look at it and you follow it through, what you see there really is, there's just a, there's the sneer of unbelief and the sting of president, uh, prejudice. Jesus, he's one of us. Oh, yeah. That's Mary's son. We don't even know who his dad is. See, they, they could have said things like this. We, we know what God has said and what he's doing, man. We got the law. We got the Torah. We got the Pentateuch. We got the prophets. Oh, yeah, we know. He visited our forefathers some years ago. Supernaturally, man, he showed up. Yeah, he, he promises to come again. We're waiting. We're doing what we need to do. We're simply enduring, waiting for the Messiah, the Meshuah, the, the, the Son of God to come and to appear. <laughs> He's right there. They missed it. Our, our church today, the American church, we can do the same thing, can't we? Oh, we got the word. We got principles. We can live by it. We know what to do. We know how to figure this thing out. We got the precepts, the word of God. Right here, bless God. We got it all figured out. We'll box, we'll box God up like nothing. And we'll tell you when and what is, when he's coming, how he's coming, and everything else, won't we? Well, he came 2,000 years ago to show us, and aren't we waiting again for his return? See, it's so easy, loved ones, to get religion down so well. But this business of the supernatural life of Christ, you know, people will say, well, if I could just understand it, I'll believe it. I mean, this thing, Jesus dying for my sins, I mean, healing in all dimensions of my life, yeah, it sounds good. Heal my marriage, I'd love it, but I'm just not sure. And we can be people like them who's really un- unbelievable. We just, it's really, oh yeah, nice guy. He's all right with me. You know what's interesting? Jesus is amazed two times in scriptures. First time is right here. He's amazed at these folks' unbelief. It's almost as like he expects them. You know me. You've heard of me. You hear what other people are saying. You're not getting it. He's amazed at these Jewish people, his people, his family, his friends, they don't believe. Uh, but then there's the other time he's amazed. You'll see in Matthew chapter 8. There's a centurion who comes running up to Jesus and he says, my servant is dying. If you would just speak the word. I'm a man under authority. When I speak, things get done. He is a Gentile. He is out of the covenant. He has very little to do with Jesus. As a matter of fact, he would have been against him because he was a warrior. Jesus was the prince of peace. Yet he comes and he says, Jesus, if you'll simply speak the word, my servant will be healed. You want to talk about faith. Jesus goes on. What does he say about it? It says, and Jesus was amazed. He said, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. What does Jesus marvel at in your life today? Is it your belief or your unbelief? I'm not talking about knowing him. I'm just talking about your, in, in your daily life. What does he see most? See, as we study Jesus, you notice he never came with these angelic choirs singing back up or front men to take care of stuff. He simply came, he touched the blind, he healed the leopard. He touched those who needed his touch. There wasn't formula, there wasn't methodology. He spoke the word, he touched people. He desired more for Nazareth. 
But the people from Nazareth, they didn't reject the miracles. They ultimately rejected the miracle worker. Did Nazareth need Jesus' work and miracles? Oh, I'm sure they did. Because everywhere Jesus went, he did it. But here's a bigger question. Fast forward 2,000 years. Does the East Bay? Does Bay Point? Concord, Walnut Creek, Pacheco, Martinez, Creekside. Do, do we need this manifestation, these things of the life of Jesus? And I would say absolutely. There's so many people, loved ones around us that need to be healed. And I think this is the question today. Can we believe Jesus who says who he is, that I am the son of God? You can trust me. You can look to me. Can we believe him to do great things, to do miracles in us, through us, our hands? Because that's ultimately how it's going to happen. Our hands extended going forth into the community. Can we believe for that? Or, or, or is it just, oh, you know, it's just church. It's, oh, pastor, he's probably on something again, you know. He's meds, it's got to be. We're the ones to get to believe, to see our communities touched in Jesus' name. So moving forward, how do we deal with this issue of familiarity, this cultural Christianity? See, Jesus' focus in the gospel of Mark to date and will be is bringing the kingdom of God to people. Because when the kingdom of God comes, the king is always there, resident, resident, and present. That's what he said, his prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we move on this? Go back just a page. See, on the heels of the parable, on the heels of the soils and parable about hearing and responding, Jesus sneaks in these two verses, in verses or three verses in 23, 24, and 25. After he says, hear and respond, Get your heart going. He says there is, uh, he says in verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Then Jesus said to them, pay attention to what you hear. For by the measure you use, it will be measured out and added to you. For to the one who has, it will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Hear me. This is Jesus. You know what he says? A person's receiving is always linked to their giving, whatever dimension of life. Jesus says the measure you give is the measure you're going to get back. Measure has to do with the system of value. What kind of value are you measuring out to Jesus? These people measured out very, very, very little value, low value system toward Jesus. Isn't it so easy for us to do the same? issue we face is that we allow the enemy to, of our soul to come and make the, the things of Christ, the word of God, church, to become so calm and so run-of-the-mill, so ordinary, so routine. Don't ever, loved ones, give yourself the privilege of coming with no expectancy to hear Jesus' voice and to grow in the grace and the love and the knowledge of Christ. Because if you do, you will sooner than later lose sight of Jesus and you'll be singing songs, but you won't worship. You'll be doing stuff, but you won't be ministering. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be hearing voices, but it won't be the Spirit. 
And it's so important to come ready to receive. See, we've grown up with Jesus, haven't we? But every one of us, whether we've known him for decades, a few days, a few months, or maybe some of us aren't sure yet, each one of us is a vessel. 2 Corinthians chapter two, 4, verse 4 says this, we are a vessel. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says we are a vessel. And you came in here today, and you were either empty and needed to be filled, or you came in as a vessel to receive and to give out. What kind of value do you measure out to Jesus today? I love coming here and meeting with people, and so many of you are different levels of friendships. I love it. Maybe you came to, to maybe make a friend, maybe to enjoy the worship and to pray, but what kind of value are you giving to Jesus today? Is it just ho-hum? Because when you do that, there will be no life in this place. And you'll go look for another place, and there'll be life there for a while, and then you'll go, wow. Because everything that you do will go from life to liturgy to nothing. If you don't come to see and to hear from Jesus first and foremost. Could our church become just like the Nazareth scene where people gather to worship but they stumble because it's all so common. Did it every Sunday. We have church. And you can have church and Jesus doesn't even have to be there. You know that? Because you got everything down where you just do it. You can raise your hands and you can sing, but your mind is miles away. Oh boy, I wonder who, I wonder how the meat's doing in the crock pot. <laughs> I wonder what the lines are going to be like at Outback. I wonder how the USA is doing in the Ryder Cup. I was challenged with this a week ago. I was so focused on my fantasy football team. And I know you go, wow, what a sinner. Well, I am. <laughs> but, but, but I can't allow anything to crowd out the importance of this time and say, Jesus, speak to me. Each of us gets to choose how much value we place on all areas of these times that we get together. We will either value Jesus, loved ones, or devalue him. There's a person at a renowned art museum, turns to the guard and he goes, man, I don't see any great value in this artwork. And the, and, and the guard said, sir, this artwork isn't what's on uh, uh, display. It's not only on display. These paintings are not what's on trial here. You are. And if you look at a Rembrandt, and you look at a Monet, and you're saying, I don't see the value or anything good about it, it just simply shows your taste or potentially your ignorance. And sometimes we can come to church and do the same thing. Jesus is no longer on trial, loved ones. 2,000 years has proved his ability to prove himself. We're on trial. What are we giving to him? Because the value and the measure that we give out is what we receive in return. This is the key. Make Jesus everything, all about his life. Make it truly valuable to you, to me, 24-7, 365. Or the way that I talk, the way that I do things, the way that I walk, the way that I drive, the way that I live, it's all about Jesus. I want the, listen, we can live without the touch of Jesus, without his presence 
on our lives. And you know what the problem with that is? We become no different than anybody else. And that's probably the biggest problem with the church and the world today. We come to Jesus and then we just do it all on our own and we really don't put value on him and what we need from him day in and day out. And so we just look like everybody else. I want to be like Moses. He said this in Exodus 33. God's getting ready to lead him and he goes, Lord, or God says, I'm not going to go with you. Moses says, I ain't going if you don't go. Don't lead me where you don't go first. And I'll just tell you as a pastor, I can do that a lot. I'm not real smart, but I got a little bit of wisdom and I don't ever want that to usurp what I need from Jesus. And I don't want our church to ever do that. Do you know what the Jesus, you know, these brothers here, did you know that James thought Jesus was crazy? You know what changed it for him? When Jesus died and resurrected the resurrection will do that for us. When we see Jesus died, resurrected, lived for us, gave his life for our sins and now lives for us, if we can keep the cross central, that will always slap the slack out of our spiritual sails and keep us focused on him. How do we grow in faith? Hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing the word and doing the word. Your obedience will always show the measure and the value that you give to Jesus. People don't like it that black and white, but that's what Jesus says. If you love me, you'll obey me. When you obey, you'll trust. When you trust, you'll know it.